In 10 feet, I had 18 punctures God. and both tires just went totally oh, so flat. So it was both tires? It was both tires. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, everybody. Welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. I am now sitting with Ed Marquand, and we are sitting in Tyaton, Washington. And Ed, you have an interesting story, but I want to start you off. I really want to hear the kind of the origin story of of you and Tyaton. Well, um... I live, my partner and I live in downtown Seattle, and now we live here too. So we go back and forth across the Cascades pretty regularly. I spend much more time here in Tyaton than I do in Seattle. For 40 years, I've had an art book publishing company based in Seattle. We produce books for museums all over the country. My partner's an attorney. About 30 years ago, we bought a very large piece of property about 15 miles from Tyaton, and we built a little tiny cabin. It's off the grid. It's it's fireproof. It's just a little bunker that sits on this beautiful piece of property. And um, we like spending time there. But since it's off the grid, it wasn't easy to do work there. We could chill out for a couple of days, but that was about it. In 2005, I took a bike ride from the cabin toward Yakima, saw the sign down in Natchez directing me to Tyaton, and I thought, well, I'll go check it out. So I rode up the grade and and spun around town. Tyaton is a small town. It's about 1,400 people. It's about 70% Latino. Um, the town isn't particularly distinguished architecturally, but it has a beautiful little park in the center and four blocks of, of retail around the park. So it's kind of set up like a little bit like a Midwestern town. Um, in 2005, um, many of the storefronts were empty We're surrounded by apple and pear orchards. It's a beautiful country. It's on the dry side of of the state. And, um, but its proximity to Yakima um, really kind of worked against the retail Mm -hmm. in town. Um, Also with changes in the agriculture business and small farms consolidating and and agribusiness taking over chunks of farms and getting bigger and bigger and bigger um, really put a strain on small family farmers. So many of them moved out of the way. Some of the some of the farms went bankrupt and that didn't do anything to help the retail in poor little Titan. When I showed up on my bike in 2005. About half the storefronts on the square were empty and had been for about a decade. So 
there wasn't the bowling alley. There wasn't the movie theater. There wasn't the hair salon. There wasn't the the shoe repair store. There wasn't the variety store. There there wasn't the the butcher shop. Um, so all those businesses went away. And as as much as people in the community wanted them to come back, the economic pressures and proximity to Yakima uh, really made the restoration of those businesses impossible. Everybody in town wanted some businesses to come back or some some businesses, but they could never figure out what, what businesses those could be. So I'm spinning around town on my bike and I pull into the back of an abandoned warehouse, <clears throat> fruit storage warehouse, um, pulled into the parking lot and hit a whole bunch of goat head thorns. <laughs> In 10 feet, I had 18 punctures God. and both tires just went totally oh, so flat. So it was both tires? It was both tires. Oh, okay. Um, so I uh, pushed the bike into the park and spent the rest of the day with my little tiny patch kit trying to repair these inner tubes <clears throat> In, so I could get back to the cabin. Um, so as I was patching the tires and noticing these storefronts, um, I started wondering, well, with real estate prices, with studio space at such a premium in Seattle, I wonder what sorts of businesses could make sense in these spaces that um, could also hire people from the community to train them to do work at a very, very high level, thereby improving the economy of the town, occupying these spaces, but also fulfilling creative ambitions in, from urban areas. And here we are 16 years later, and that basic model has played out in these spaces in a variety of different ways. And um, that's what we're going to talk about today. So I've got a couple of questions based on that first story. How long did it take you to patch the bike? I mean, that's <laughs> so you were sitting here for a little while. It was about three hours. Okay. And what was your partner's response when you rode back and you said, I've got this idea? <laughs> was it? <laughs> well, um, I, he said, well, let's go check it out. Okay. And we rode around, um, drove around and walked around <clears throat> the next day. And he grew up in a town that's about the same size as Titan in upstate New York. And that town essentially died because there were no ideas of ways to develop a narrative for some sort of a successful future. And that's a problem that small towns have across the country. And it's, it's my belief 16 years into this project we call Mighty Titan, um, that without that narrative for some sort of a successful future, these small towns are doomed. Mm -hmm. And as much as people would like them to remain the way they were in the 50s and 60s and 70s, the economic pressures are never going to allow that. Now, in the case of Titan, um, 
we've created this hands across the cascades business model. So it's dependent on the needs from outside this area. Mm -hmm. What I've discovered in the years that we've been here is that the locals would really like to see solutions come from the town itself. But I just don't think that's possible anymore. And with the internet and with tech, there are so many really interesting and exciting opportunities outside the area that can be connected to the, the local resources. Mm -hmm. So what are those local resources? Uh, property. When we started buying storefronts and a couple of warehouses around here, <clears throat> the, the property prices just seemed so ridiculously low. And they were. Renovation costs were not. <laughs> it took much more money to renovate these spaces than we ever expected. But um, here we are into it and we've made good progress. But the real resource in this town <clears throat> and in towns all over the place are the people who live here, who are really hunger, hungry to connect to the broader creative fields. And, um, you know, they have creative ambitions, too. Because of the Internet, they're well aware of what's going on in the rest of the world. But if they can't leave this area or they don't want to leave this area, thanks to the Internet, there are now ways for them to connect um, that just wouldn't have been possible a decade ago. I think COVID has also demonstrated that there are so many things that can be done without leaving where you're living. And the world is much, much more connected through the internet than it was a decade ago. And that opens all sorts of exciting possibilities. So when you first started up here, how, I mean, the internet's evolved a lot in those 16 years, but how is connectivity up here? Is this, do you have good infrastructure for that here? Well, it can always be better, but I'll tell you, <laughs> I have a condo in downtown Seattle and my main design business, the publishing business, is right downtown Seattle. And in my studios here in Titan, I have fiber optic. Mm -hmm. I can't get fiber optic in downtown Seattle. Right. Because of the buildings, not because it doesn't exist there, but because of the buildings. Mm -hmm. The buildings are not capable of um, accessing uh, fiber optic. When we moved to Wenatchee from the Tacoma area, I started calling around and, oh, it's forty nine ninety five a month. I'm like, okay, so first off, I won't mention the 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 main cable provider in the in Puget Sound. We all know that, but you know, and I'm like, well, that's a third of what I was paying. Yeah. Oh, and it's a gigabit. What? <laughs> yeah, I was huge perk about moving over to, to to Wenatchee for me was the robust connectivity. So. So that's evolved. So you, you mentioned something. Okay, so the initial cost was low to buy. Renovations, however, well, no project ever hits its budget, does it? <laughs> no. Uh -uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. no. What was the first building that you started with? And what was the first, uh, what was your first 
what did you open first? And then the other part of that question is, so from the time that you're spending fixing your flats, how long was it before you actually made an investment in the community? Well, I was fixing the flats in the middle of April, 2005. That summer, we brought all these friends from Seattle, most of whom owned their own businesses. They were architects, they were designers, maybe gallery owners, people in the food industry, people in the beverage industry, um, photographers, uh, retailers, whatever, but small business people. Mm -hmm. And we'd sit in the park and try to imagine what these spaces could become that would make sense for the people who live in the community today and or in, when we're right. envisioning. <clears throat> but also, what could attract more people to come to town to spend more money to help the economy of the, of the town? The first building we, we um, bought was a big abandoned warehouse that... Um, had been a fruit storage warehouse, and it had been empty for about a decade. We bought it at auction. And then the very next building we bought was another large building that had been uh, deserted for about 12 years. And the um, this group <clears throat> was very um, lively and fun group of uh, small business owners, um, we all decided that we would take the second warehouse and convert those to loft spaces, studio loft spaces <clears throat> that this group could buy mm -hmm. um, to get some of these ideas up and running. Um, the big warehouse, <clears throat> uh, we converted to an event space and then we started putting studios in a wood shop, a metal shop to provide some support for doing a lot of the construction and renovation on the other buildings. Um, then there were a couple of uh, storefronts that we bought. Um, there was the old pharmacy. There was uh, our, the old television repair place. Um, there was a uh, the variety store. And those places, too, had been empty for over a decade. Um, but we started buying them at the end of 2005. So okay. the, the flat tire happened uh, April 2005. We started actually eight making months. commitments. Yeah, yeah. Wow. about eight Quick. months. So that, um, um, that really got us commit committed and it also got uh, other people committed. But it also got their juices flowing, and we started to, to really make a commitment to the community. The people we met here, and the, the, the people in the Titan is a city, so it has a city hall, it has a professional staff, um, and they were very, very excited uh, because in converting the one building into lofts, our building permit application was the first one they'd had in three years. Did they remember how to fill it out? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a hard form to remember how to fill out. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, they were really struggling. Um, and 
a lot of it had to do with big, big changes in the agriculture industry in this area. Mm -hmm. So many of the farmers were much too heavily invested in red delicious apples. Nobody was buying red delicious apples anymore. And it was very expensive to convert the orchards into organics or more varietals. Um, so, you know, I, I think our timing was, was, um, was good for what happened, but um, it was really a town on its heels in 2005. Well, let me ask you this, just how did Tyatin, not to bring up maybe hopefully, it's probably a touchy subject, but how did Tyatin handle the the Great Recession of 08 and all of that? Was it, was it, was it severely impacted up here? Well, we finished the loft project and sold the last unit two weeks before the before the Great Recession. Wow! So we dodged a massive bullet. Um, Titan and the Yakima Valley, in general, um, suffers from these things generally later. Mm-hmm. Agriculture is a good industry in that it's a pretty stable industry over long periods. Right. Um, and in town, there were still plenty of um, jobs in the fruit packing warehouses and managing the orchards and mm-hmm. so on. The people who live here aren't aren't really doing the work that um, migrant laborers do, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but they do a lot of orchard management. They do a lot of um, transportation, uh, packing, um, that sort of work. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that we were, I don't know that they were as hard hit mm-hmm. as they might've been. Okay. Um, nobody had a great time during that time, nobody though, had a great but time. Um, there we are. Okay. So the loft was kind of the first project. It was. And how many units did you guys convert? 14. 14 units. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, they're very comfortable, and that's where I live now. And many of the people who invested in the in the initial uh, construction are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the architect who, uh, Philip Christofides was the architect, and he was involved in all these conversations we were having early on. But he, he <clears throat> I think, rightfully said, look at if we make this commitment and if these creative business owners with all these great ideas of, of businesses that could fill these spaces here, if they make a commitment to real estate in Titan, they're much more likely to stay engaged. And that um, proved to be true. Mm-hmm. Now, however, um, your question about the recession, since we're all independent, small, creative business owners, we were all clobbered. Mm-hmm. Those businesses were in Seattle. Um, the architect, uh, he had to shutter his business. Right. Uh, galleries really suffered. The restaurant suffered. Everybody, everybody really suffered. And it had an impact on the ideas of what we wanted to do mm-hmm. here in Titan. So a number of the ideas we were so um, excited about getting off the ground restaurant, you know, tourist destination kinds of activities, that sort of thing, um, really just had to be 
put on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're now, 16 years later, um, really taking a, a much stronger hold. But, but you know, that recession really threw, threw us back on our, on our rears. Right. Okay. You've, when we've talked before, you've, you've somewhat facetiously call yourself the, the, the hand waver, you know, the, and I, I laugh at that. But once again, I'm seeing an example of that. When you, you, you had flat tires in April, you'd gathered a group and in, by, by the end of the year, you guys are investing in, in this, in this vision. That's pretty amazing as far as I'm concerned. Well, or, 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 or crazy, but incredibly naive. Yeah. But. Well, you know, it could be all those things, but it's worked oh. out. Even you're still here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was next? I mean, what, so we, we, the studio space came, how did my, how did the, how'd you come up with the name Mighty Titan? Mighty Titan just occurred to me. The Titan River is um, a few miles from here, and it it um, hooks up with the Natchez River that hooks up with the Yakima River down in, in Yakima. <laughs> and I was just playing with ni- names, um, and I just thought, okay, the Titan River and rivers are often described as being mighty, um, you know. Right. Titan wouldn't be classified that way, but I, it just, the name stuck and, and here we are. Mm. Um, and then, uh, Carrie, a wonderful old friend who, um, was really instrumental in getting so many of these projects here going, um, always kind of thought of it as in a mighty mouse kind of way. Here we are, this little tiny <laughs> scrappy town and these little scrappy independent business people. And, uh, we were, trying to punch above our weight and uh, you know here we are um but the name stuck and um it's kind of memorable yeah but the um the businesses so i'm uh i'm thinking okay we bought the the old pharmacy that had been empty for a decade what are we going to do there <laughs> it's a beautiful old space um and when I say beautiful, to me, workmanlike is beautiful. Okay. None of the architecture in town here is distinctive. It doesn't have any any trim or decoration or whatever. These are concrete block buildings. Some of them are covered. Some of them are not. But they're, they're very workmanlike. But the park in the middle of the town is the thing that really gives the town its charm. But with this uh, pharmacy, I was thinking, well, okay, what business am I going to start here? I publish art books for museums all over the country, and we've been at it for about four decades now. And I have a very, very talented staff in Seattle of designers and editors and production people. Over the years, we've worked with about 300 museums around the country, so we're pretty well known in that field. I came up with the idea of um, doing the uh, uh, creating a studio that makes limited edition handmade art books, books that are for a similar clientele, very few copies, much higher price points, and items that would be sold into museum collections, special collection libraries, and private book collectors. Um, we know a lot of people in the art world, and I, I just thought, yeah, we, we can put together some very, very um, 
interesting partnerships, and, and that's what we've done. But we also, the Seattle office, moved to its current location, which is at Second and Union in downtown Seattle. It came with the storefront, so we opened Paper Hammer. Paper Hammer is my little shop. Um, and about half the merchandise we sell at Paper Hammer, we make here in Titan. Mm. So when we're slow doing the additions, we fill in by creating merchandise that we can sell in um, downtown Seattle. Uh, we also now have a little retail shop on the square, mm -hmm. and we sell a lot of that merchandise uh, there as well. Um, so the um, that was the first business that I started here. But um, the studio that is kind of blowing up right now in the best possible way is uh, Tyaton Mosaic. <clears throat> in uh, about 10 years ago, I got a call from Chris Tucker, who was then the head of the um, Washington State Arts Commission, Arts WA. She told me about a grant program called Our Town that was uh, an initiative of the National Endowment for the Arts. She says, we like what you're doing in Tyaton, this combination of community enterprise, uh, art, and design. If you can come up with a proposal uh, that we like, we can give you a grant writer to help you go after grant money from the National Endowment. So a woman who was working for us at the time and I sat down and, and she said, well, you've always expressed admiration um, in the, the uh, platform mosaics in the New York subway system. The, the platform like Columbus Circle and, and 57th Street and Times Square, all these mosaics that are 100 years old. She says, well, why don't we start a studio to do that kind of work? And I thought, sure, okay, I'm a graphic designer by, by training and profession. <clears throat> I know a fair amount about typography. And um, sure, let's, let's just go for that. <laughs> Never in the million years thinking we would actually get this grant. We submitted the, the grant application, and a few months later, we got notice from the, the NEA that we had been awarded this grant to create some directional signage around the town of Tyaton using glass mosaic. Um, so we needed to train ourselves up to be able to do that work. I want to interrupt you. You mean you... I don't know. Well, it's too late. They already gave you the money and you're already in business, but you hadn't done any mosaic work before the grant was awarded. No, but um, I knew enough about the technique okay. to, to know that it was, it was, it would be perfectly capable okay. of learning how to do it. I'm, I'm kind of giving you a hard time, but it's like, wow. Sure. Well, and the, the kind of mosaics where you're interested in doing was signage. It mm -hmm. wasn't, it wasn't some of the, the incredibly artistic complicated um, traditional mosaics mm -hmm. um, from 2000 years ago. Right. Um, you know, it was, it was going to be more like the New York subway mosaics. Sure. And, and those are much, much easier to learn how to do. <laughs> but as soon as the announcement was made that we had uh, received this grant, um, a fellow named Steve Morgan from Natchez just down the hill showed up and um, offered his services and said, you know, I think I'd be really good at that. 
Um, so <laughs> said, great. We hired a couple of mosaic artists from Seattle to come over to teach us how to do this work. Um, Steve took to it just like fish to water. Um, he was, he was really born to do this, this work. Um, and a couple of other people showed up or friends of friends showed up and, um, you know, before we know it, we have a nice little mosaic studio and we're working on the, on the NEA mosaics. <clears throat> now we also had to raise an additional hundred thousand dollars to be able to, um, get the studio up and going, but we were able to do that through private donations and uh, some additional foundation money. But the idea was to do a project, an art project, that would continue to create jobs in the community um, amongst the people who live here, you know, mm -hmm. hire people from the community, because that's always been an important uh, right. part of the mission. <laughs> Um, so when we finished the signage project, which we did on time, on budget, how um, many signs did you guys, initial? we did six, six signs. We okay. did, so there's a welcome to Titan and then some of the parks and some directional signage on the, on the streets. So outside. that wasn't the Apple box logo once this no. is okay. Um, but as we were finishing that project up, we got a couple of commercial commissions, um, from companies in Yakima, some really nice ones. Um, we got better and better at, at doing the work and really kind of, you know, grew into the, um, into the skill that was needed. And then, uh, another fellow who worked for us applied for another national endowment for the arts grant. Um, but he didn't tell anybody that he was applying for these grants nor did he really explain what the grant application involved. Um, <laughs> I mean, I probably mentioned it and I didn't really take it seriously because we didn't expect to get the first one and right. I really didn't expect to get, get any more. Um, and then he moved away, um, moved to the East coast. One day we get a letter from the NEA saying that we had gotten this grant. And I just thought, Holy moly, what's, what's he obligated us to do? The, we got 48000 from the NEA, but he obligated us to a project that really cost a quarter of a million dollars. So I had to be the one to go out and raise the rest of the money. Um, but we came up with this project. It was all based on coming up with mosaics that would be displayed around the park, around the square, featuring vintage fruit label murals blown up into seven foot wide mosaics. Um, they include I don't know, like 10 to 14,000 little pieces of hand cut glass. Um, they're really beautiful. Mm -hmm. But when I realized how proud some of the families are around here about their, um, their fathers, their parents, their grandparents, um, then it became a bit of a legacy project, and it was it was easier to raise the money, and it was going to be um, really transformative for the town of Titan. It would give people a reason to come here any day of the year, drive around, admire these fruit labels, mm -hmm. and, and so on. If nothing else is open, the fruit labels are entertainment enough. So that project took about two, two and a half years. We completed it 
And um, how many how many of those? There's seven. Seven, seven of those mosaics. And they look great and people love them. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to watch people take selfies in, in front of them. <laughs> um, one of them, we had to do a Kickstarter campaign. But um, uh, anyway, the, the community was just really, um, really terrific and, and very um, pleased with the result. Um, and then after that was completed, we heard about a uh, contract through Sound Transit in Seattle, in Seattle mm-hmm. um, to uh, produce mosaics for a station in Redmond. And that's the project we're in the middle of right now. Um, it's a big project. There are five people working pretty much full time. In the studio, we have uh, about 11 of them done to date. They just really, they look so great. And when they're, when they're done, they're going to be great advertising for the town of Titan, but also Titan Mosaic. So when you gave me a quick tour through the mm-hmm. area before, those are with different they're different artist designs, correct? And they're yes. other, are they Washington state artists that were awarded these? Yes. Okay. They, and for the most part, they're King County. Well, I think, I think Seattle and Tacoma artists okay. were the six who were selected by sound transit. Okay. So we're not doing the design work on those. We're doing the production. Right. Work. So sound transit uh, selects the artist and then we collaborate with the artists to take their ideas, which were, um, um, for the most part, paintings or graphics, and translate them into the form where they can be um, glass mosaics. Okay. In what you showed me, those are very interesting as well. But the the apple boxes, I think, are really, I mean, I just think they're very. Yeah. Um, you should, guys should keep doing more of those. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. If I, there are fruit families yeah, around who yes. want to commission us, we're more than right. happy to. We'll put a link in the show notes for that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you opened a mercantile. Yeah, yeah. Did I tell you my my observations when I went in the first no. time? So when I went in the first time, I was looking around, and I was like, oh, "This is." In, in, Interestingly curated selection of items. What on earth is Filson doing in here? Who's going to buy Filson up here? That was this is my initial thought. And yeah. You're smirking, yeah. and I'm standing around. I'm just you know looking at this, and I'm like, this is cool, but Filson? I mean, really? Three people walk in from across the street from the gallery. Seventies age, a little older than me. And guys walk around. Next thing I know, he's got a Filson vest up at the counter. And he goes, <laughs> and he and it was it was comical because he said something, and I, I don't have the exact words, but he said something like, "Well, what my sweater that I'm wearing now, I bought it at a thrift store twenty years ago for you know ten cents or something. It's time for me to get a new one." And he bought a Filson vest, <laughs> and I just thought, okay, so never judge a book by its cover. I mean, that was, but it's a very interestingly curated uh, selection of goods. Yeah. How has that been received? I mean, obviously you're selling Filson Vest, but I mean, how has that how has that been? Yeah, well, um, the my my partner uh, Mike is um, uh, pretty stubborn, and um, we, he 
he early on bought that building without even telling me. And I, I just, the building to me just looked like such a mess. And I just thought this is a tear down. And I was a little annoyed that he bought this building. It was, you know, it was super cheap, but it was going to cost a small fortune to, to <laughs> fix up and to turn it into anything. Cause it had gone through so many, um, iterations none <laughs> remodeled yeah none of them <laughs> none of them improving the space and he, he got annoyed with me he says oh you know forget it we're never going to have enough money to tear it down and build something new so let's just let's rip the ceiling off see what the bones of the building are like okay and um see what we have and i said okay you're on so uh, we yanked off the the crappy you know the ceiling stuff with the Jesus dust and everything, um, ripped that off. And turns out it was actually a really great building. It had heavy timber, had these great posts. Um, it, you know, tall enough ceiling, but it was just built. It was just so rugged. And it completely changed our attitude about the building. We had to change. We had to, you know, replace the windows, replace the roof, put in. Did heat, he tell you I told you so? Uh, he didn't have to. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty good at admitting when I'm totally wrong because he's almost always right. Okay. Um, but um, then we fixed it up, and then thought, well, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a little shop here? Um, we. Uh, Stumbled into uh, Craig Singer, who uh, is a chef, but he also grew up in a family that had a fly fishing um, store. So he grew up in that little little world, and he's very involved in recreational equipment and camping and things. Um, And so he ended up opening the little restaurant we have. Mm Mm-hmm. And taking it over. Um, and then he also uh, decided that he, his merchandise, he, what he would really like to do is start this little shop. So we started it. He started it. Um, he's the one who's made all the connections with Filson and Topo Design and Smart Wool <laughs> and all these companies. And um, he, it, that part of the store, that half of the store with all the cool cool uh, recreational equipment that's his deal the other half is mine where we have some of the the merchandise that we make here and we buy some merchandise in here but it it really um um was another light on in the square mm-hmm. um i think the the locals certainly the people from yakima and the visitors we get from um out of town are kind of surprised and delighted when they come in the store because it's it's pretty quality you know it's good stuff i didn't know what to expect you know and and i walked in i was like wow this isn't what i expected well and if it's um if it's any uh of any interest it consistently outperforms the downtown seattle shop really yeah wow that says as much about the condition of downtown seattle right now (laughs) Um, but it, it is, um, remarkable given that it's only now open three days a week, um, that it does as well as it does. But at the same time, 
you know, we don't have nearly the overhead here that we have right. in Seattle. And my partner and I work at the shop on weekends. And mm-hmm. I give tours from there. And, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of, of interest in the region um, about Titan. And this gives us a good platform to start from. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm My eyes are doing this really weird like prism prismatic stuff. And I'm just like trying to rub them here for a second. You don't get uh, migraines. No, I don't have a headache at all. It's just. Yeah, I, I know it'll go away in a minute or two. Well, but... It's been a few minutes of it. It's like, this is weird. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Todd, cut that out, please. Don't let that go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the episode where Scott had. No. Um, well, I want to go back to your book binding. And so we've got the mosaics, we've got the mercantile, you've got your book binding. There's box gallery in town. Mm-hmm. There's another artist space where they rent mm-hmm. artist space to studio or studio space to artists, not artist space to studios. You've got the the converted Apple warehouse. Just out of curiosity, just to back that up for a second, that must have been a super smooth process to convert an old fruit warehouse into <laughs> livable spaces. I mean, that, no no problems there at all. <laughs> well, it was actually easier than than. Oh. Um, Easier than you would think. The architect, Philip Christofides, had a very clear vision. It was not a fruit storage warehouse. It was a fruit transit warehouse. Okay. So it was two floors, 28,000 square feet, big, big beams and timber masonry. And it was very easy the way the space was, was divided up to imagine two-story loft spaces, each one with about 1,400 square feet of space. The upstairs ceilings are 18 feet tall. The downstairs um, uh, ceilings are are 11 feet. Um, But that part was very easy to see. It was a very clean building. Mm -hmm. Um, So the um, construction took a year. It um, we used all local contractors, of course, because we want the jobs to stay in, mm-hmm. in town here. And um, we'd hire any of them again. They mm-hmm. did such a good job. And I think they were really, um, they'd never worked on anything like it before, but they were very proud when it was when it was all done. Um, the big warehouse was a cold storage warehouse. So there was... Uh, there were ammonia tanks and refrigeration equipment that needed to be gotten out of there. There was old packing equipment that needed to be uh, gotten out. But it was a pretty clean building as well. In that space, we started having events, either community events like the the Holiday Crafts Bazaar. Mm-hmm. We had a couple of antique shows. <clears throat> but we also started having Day of the Dead events, the um, annual open house. Uh, And then we realized that um, we could really generate some money by renting it out for weddings, quinceañeras, Mm -hmm. um, uh, corporate events, retreats, that sort of thing. Um, That has been, uh, um, uh, that was a very important source of revenue. COVID put um, the kibosh on that, but we're opening back up and, you know, that's, that business is coming, coming back. Um, But there's a real need in the Yakima area for interesting, flexible spaces, um, 
I think it's a popular venue because every couple who comes in for a wedding can decorate it the way they want. They're not limited um, by, you know, either hotel convention rooms or whatever. They're, it's a really, it is a warehouse. <laughs> so um, they can pretty much do what they want. It's a blank will. slate. To, it's to, a blank to, slate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's been a, a pretty popular venue and um, we're definitely going to keep that going and um, continue to ramp up that business. What, if any involvement do you have in the Grand Prix? Um, the Grand Prix, the, the <laughs> cycle carts, um, is, uh, coming back next year after, a, after a two year hiatus. Um, but the Titan Grand, the Titan Grand Prix consists of, um, handmade cycle carts that have, um, six horsepower pressure washer motors and they're, they're all handmade. They're all hand machined. Um, they, uh, bring in the group is based in Seattle, but we have drivers who fly in from New Zealand and, uh, Great Britain and Canada and, uh, all over the country, um, and ship their cars here. And Titan was the first town to, to give, um, <clears throat> this group, uh, permission to race on city streets. So, um, it's it's a super fun, great activity. Um, well, how did were you involved in bringing it here? I mean, oh, a friend of mine. Okay, is, friend of yours. Is, okay. Uh, so, yeah. I, I can't lay you off the hook that easy. I I need to know more about it because I I was when I was over at the the mercantile. I loved the posters. Yeah, yeah. I ended up buying a couple of the posters uh-huh. because I thought they were so awesome. So these are six horsepower pressure washer motors. Everything's handmade. Yeah. And they race around the square? They race around town with the square being the, the primary circuit. That's where they start. That's where they finish. Um, and uh, these cars are pretty powerful. They can go up to, on a straightaway, 45, 50 miles an hour. The thing that I like about this group is that they are very, very uh, conscious of safety. They're a very funny group of guys and women. Mm-hmm. And some of the women have actually won um, more of the trophies <laughs> than the, the guys. Um, but there is one trophy you don't want to win. And that's the jerk trophy. The jerk trophy. And if you are unsafe in anything you do, you are a candidate for winning that trophy. And if you do, you're not allowed back and you're not allowed to continue to race. So do they issue that trophy every year or is it as warranted? As warranted. Okay. I was say. Yeah. But if you're, if your wheels say on a bank turn, if your wheels lift off the ground. Wait, wait a second. There's bank turns. Well, if, if you are banking around okay. a turn, a turn <laughs> and you're going too fast and your your two wheels lift off the ground, nah, busted. Really? Yeah. yeah. Not okay. okay. So another thing, so this intrigues me. I can't wait to come and watch this in person because it just sounds so cool. Well, in June. I uh, think it's, it's the last, I think it's the last Saturday of June. It just sounds awesome. Yeah. 
But a local orchard, was there a race in a local orchard as well? Is that correct? Yeah, they do that. That's a private event on okay. Sundays. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the Campbell Orchards yeah. um, uh, lets them just bang around out there. And that's on Sunday because it is so hard on the cars. Yeah, they're probably not going to. Many of them are just wrecked by the end of the end of the day. Um, and need a lot of rebuilding. But um, yeah, cycle carts is uh, a big event for us. Um, we've also started Tour de Titan, which is the weekend before, and it's a 25 and a 50 mile uh, bike ride. And this year we're adding gravel. Um, so the gravel rides will be on some of the, the great trails around here. Goatheads included? Um, for some reason, the, the gravel, well, uh, we haven't had any, we, if you stay away from the shoulders, the goat heads are manageable. Yeah. The thing that got me with that initial, um, the initial punctures, um, was that I rode into an abandoned parking lot. Oh. And the goat heads had really been allowed to take over, and I'd never encountered a goat head before. Have you ever stepped on them? Yeah, yeah. lots. Turns out, yeah. it turns out, yeah. lots of times. Yeah, and they're not very unpleasant. They're very unpleasant. <laughs> very unpleasant. And you see dogs occasionally that have stepped on one, and they just freeze My, and lift their lift their paw. Our, up. our driveway oh. would have some of them on there, and our dog would. I'd be out walking the dog, and he'd just stop, hold the paw yeah. up, and be like. Yeah, you know, and off, you know, but yeah, he would, he would just, and stop, you know, yeah. They are diabolical. Yes. Yeah. What else is the town? So you've got, you've got the Tour de Titan, you've got the, the Grand Prix. What else, what well, else Dia, goes on here? Dia de los Muertos is, is really a wonderful um, event. That's at the end of October. Um, and that event just keeps getting bigger and bigger every year. Uh, we have a huge um, community altar and people can bring photographs and little remembrances of, of relatives or pets or friends who have died. Um, we have Aztec dancers, we have dancing horses, we have um, lots of music. Um, uh, Flencio Lazo from Seattle uh, does a big um, sand painting. Um, um, we have we have had uh, not with COVID, but we have had kids getting all made up as as skulls and um, lots of costumes. That's really a fun fun event. The one in the first uh, weekend in December is uh, the Holiday Craft Bazaar, and we have uh, about fifty local craftspeople, small business people. And that's a, a very, very popular event with the with the community. Uh, Lit Fuse now, I think, is 13 years old. It's a it's an annual poetry um, workshop, uh, and that happens at the end of September. But we've had, um, you know, MacArthur Prize winning um, poets uh, teaching here, and um, that's really been a um, that was a, a pretty foundational event for us. And how'd that get started? Um, uh, an attorney, Mike, works with, uh, was a poet, and he just, when we started talking about Tyatton, he said, I've always wanted to do a, a poetry festival, and oh wow, here we are. And it's, here uh, we are, 13 years. Yeah, got real bragging rights there. 
And then um, we also were able to attract uh, the artist Trimpen. Um, and he has one of the old cold storage rooms in the warehouse. Um, and he's filled it with his sculpture that makes music. Uh, Trimpen's well known in the Seattle area for um, having done a number of sound pieces, but the huge roots and branches piece at the Experience Music Project is, is um, the biggest piece. But he's now living here. Um, he too is a MacArthur winner. Um, and he now has a studio and a performance space where he can uh, just realize many, many of the ambitions he's wanted to over the course of his career. He's also um, starting to make connections with music programs in the area to help kids think a little, little more broadly about music and composition and performance. Um, so uh, he'll bring a lot to the community. That's that's awesome. Also, over in the cold storage, so you have a gallery, right? Uh-huh. You, yeah. What's 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 the story there? Well, the gallery uh, has been there from the beginning. Early on, we um, <clears throat> started this this exhibition called Ten by Ten by Ten, and uh, we put out a call. We get submissions from all over the country and and a few international submissions every year can be any medium, any, any, um, any form. It can be sculpture. It can be two-dimensional. But none of the dimensions can be over 10 inches. So what was the inspiration for 10 by 10 by 10? Well, it was 2010, and <laughs> we just thought, well, it's expensive to ship artwork generally. But if it's only right. 10 inches, it's going to be affordable. We... Uh, have had great curators from museums around the country making the selection. This year, I think we had 890 submissions, and it was uh, juried down to about 180. That's pretty. That's pretty typical. Look, yeah, because they're small. And you guys, that sounds like a lot. It yeah. is, but they're small. They're small. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But um, <clears throat> in terms of galleries, there's another gallery right across from Tyatt and Maid and Nomad Mercantile on the corner that um, Michelle Wiles started, and it's called Box Gallery. It's a, a community gallery. Um, we we have a whole bunch of artists in the Yakima Valley and in the general Ellensburg and um, general area, and they put on um, shows that change, I think, 10 times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a volunteer gallery, but... Um, uh, percentage of their proceeds go to support the food bank and the food bank shares the building mm-hmm. with the gallery. So, uh, you know, people like the idea of buying artwork that will help the food food bank and the artists certainly like the idea of um, of doing the same, but also having a venue to show their, their talents. I, I asked Michelle when I, when I had it, it recorded with her, I asked her how to box with two X's. I mean, and she told me because they... Two X's is a hundred, and they give approximately a hundred boxes of food a week. Ah, and I huh. thought that was a really interesting. Huh. I, I just like you huh. guys, all of you around here seem to have these interesting, you know, tie-ins on things, and I just think that's really kind of huh. kind of huh. Huh. kind of cool. Huh. So, see, so I maybe I taught you something on this. I, there we news go. News to me. Yeah, yeah, there we go. News to me. Yeah, we're sitting in a restaurant. Closed. What's the story here? 
Well, Craig uh, Singer is a, a trained chef, and he um, uh, just started toying with the idea of opening a restaurant, small restaurant that he could manage with a little bit of help mm -hmm. and present food of the type and quality that he didn't think really existed in the Yakima Valley. Okay. Um, it's a small place. It seats maybe 20. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, the food is locally sourced. It's fresh. It's very high quality. And he also has many connections in the wine industry from, from Yakima. So, uh, he's always trying new wines and, mm -hmm. um, new offerings. <clears throat> um, and it's, it's open generally three days a week. But one thing that has happened, um, uh, good news, bad news, his food is so good that he has a lot of jobs doing catering. Mm. And when he takes on catering events, he can't be open in the restaurant. Gotcha. The catering events make a predictable amount of money running a restaurant, not so much. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But it's um, it's proved to be very popular with the um with the locals, and it's uh, kind of nice. Again, one of the one of the um, real part of the story with Tyatton is if you create things that are unexpected discoveries mm -hmm. um, in a town as small as this, the word gets out, mm -hmm. and the marketing happens pretty much on its own. Very organic. Very organic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, stepping back a bit. There's this whole idea of community and small agricultural towns surviving and how do how do you think about what's happening here to benefit the people who live here now, mm -hmm. the kids who live here now? What what can happen here that couldn't happen in other places? that will actually allow the kids either to stay with their families and do something at a professional level, or that will attract them back if they go away to college and, and want to return. So there's a big need in the area for um, coding for the agriculture industry. Uh, turns out Yakima Ag uh, has to farm out a lot of the coding it does to India. Well, that's a huge, huge opportunity for many of the families here with kids. If they have, if the kids have a year or two years of basic coding experience under their belt, they can get hired immediately mm -hmm. at much, much higher wages than they could if they were doing some of the traditional labor in the area. So that presents some really interesting opportunities. Um, I see the Mosaic Studio blowing up. I think that that we could really be a pretty big industry here mm -hmm. in, this, in this town in a matter of a few years once word gets out. Um, I think recreation in this area is so robust and so high quality. Um, we need some more hospitality. With a little more hospitality, we can keep the restaurant and the shop open seven days a week mm -hmm. instead of three days a week. Uh, attracting 
people in the beverage industry to put a brewery in here, mm-hmm. um, uh, a winery? What, what does it look like if um, we, we really kind of build these um, co-op markets with, with small businesses that people in town and in this area um, can do with a little more support. Um, but the thing that I see happening and the thing that concerns me so much nationally, politically, is this isolation and this insular attitude. They don't want they, they're very protective. They want um, their community to be their own little fiefdom. They want the political control. They want the school boards. It's, it's blowing up with school boards right now. They mm-hmm. want local control. But in fact, the only way to really be successful is to be really good at connecting with needs from outside the area that can be fulfilled locally. And those relationships, I think, are essential to the long-term success of small towns all across the country. Well, you started with the connecting across the Cascades. Yeah. And that seems completely logical. Yeah. It seems like a no-brainer. There's a fear in small towns that people from outside the area want to take over. Mm -hmm. In fact, they like... I think that it's kind of ingrained in the American ethos. They want small towns to survive and be successful. Mm -hmm. The people who feel that way don't usually need to be there. They just can't imagine America being America without small towns Mm -hmm. succeeding. And those resources are are very very real, and they're 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 being done for good reasons. They want to be helpful, and once that message is communicated, um, and once the people in the town in these towns start benefiting from those connections. Everybody wins. Everybody, everybody, um, you know, everybody, uh, everybody wins. Well, absolutely. You wouldn't have a, a mosaic shop here if you were just doing mosaics in the Yakima Valley. No. It wouldn't, there's not, there's not enough market for that. Right. So the jobs, the people you're able to employ here for the mosaic shop would be working somewhere else. Yeah. Maybe have to leave the area if they, you know, but they wouldn't be here with a trade. Right. And I think craft and trade. I think that's awesome. Um, This little restaurant that we're sitting in, which is not something I would imagine to be seeing in Titan. I mean, this doesn't look like, you know, the live edge tables and, and all that wouldn't be here. So I think what's being done here is, Kudos. I really, I really, you know, and like, like I said to you before we hit the recording button, this is my third conversation now with people in Titan. <laughs> and it's like, I keep sharing it with my, my friends that I'm like, you know, have you been there? And the, and the answer, honestly, the answer is like, no, where's Titan? Yeah. It's not like no one so far has gone, oh yeah, I was up there. Huh. But they're all like, no, where's Titan? So it's, it's kind of becoming my little mission to like go, okay, I gotta, I'm going to 
like, we'll just get this out here to people that I know yeah. when they come here, they'll be very pleasantly pl- surprised and pleased by the, the whole nature of the na- the neighborhood. Well, to, to, to that point, um, you know, I want people to know about Titan. I like the idea of them coming and spending money and supporting. Um, and there are people who, say, well, maybe I should move to Titan. Maybe that's a good, good idea. And the, the people I am particularly interested in attracting are the ones who are going to create jobs right. for the people who live here today. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of thing. It shouldn't be, um, it should be, how can I realize some creative commercial ambitions mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do how can I do them in Titan? I was never able to do them in Seattle or Tacoma or Portland, wherever. Portland, wherever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of money that has come out of our own pockets. Um, we don't have kids, so I don't have to put kids through college. You're not, uh, you're not spending their inheritance. I'm not. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, uh, but um, you know, it's it's um, really been deeply creatively rewarding for us, um, and it's it's great to think about some of the ideas that will be. Um, coming up and coming online in the next couple of years. So, well, let me ask you this. What would you, what, what would you like to see? You know, snap my fingers. We're five years in the future. Now we're, we're, re- we're coming back. We're having another conversation. What would Tyatin look like to you in five years? If it was on that path, what more, more businesses creating jobs for the locals, right? What, what else here though? I mean, what, you know, you don't, I don't, as I've talked to you, I don't get the, the impression that, you know, well, let's put a 12 story building here. That's not, that's not the thing at all. Right. It's, you want to keep it kind of, I, I feel my interpretation, you want to keep it around the town center, the, the, the park and all that, keep this feel. Mm-hmm. But what is five years from now? What is it kind of, you know, forecasting out? What would you see? Well, people often say that Titan reminds them of Marfa, Texas, um, Marfa, Texas is definitely an art town that was the vision of Donald Judd, a sculptor who okay. had a very clear vision of w- how he wanted to transform an old um, army base oh. into a world-class um, <clears throat> installation contemporary art venue. Never heard of this town. Um, uh, in the art world, it is Mecca. Okay. You know? And jets fly in from Switzerland and oh, all okay. over the, all over the world to experience this. The difference between Marfa and um, and Titan is that it was very much the vision of one man in the art world, and mm-hmm. he had a very clear idea of what he wanted to accomplish. He's okay. no longer alive, but as one of the guides on one of the tours I went on said, he micromanages from beyond the grave. <laughs> um, but he had a very clear vision. Okay. With me, it's much more organic. It's other people's ideas. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really very much would like other people's ideas to be realized. Here. Sure. Um, <clears throat> the big, big, insanely ambitious project that we um, have obligated ourselves uh, involves a an enormous warehouse 
that we bought at an estate sale. Um, it's 167,000 square feet. It's, um, it needs a lot of love and uh, even more money. Um, <laughs> but keeping that part of the heritage of the town alive, um, keeping that, that history and emotional attachment, but also keeping these spaces that when you go inside are so grand and so audacious it's hard to imagine you wouldn't want to try to preserve these things. These right. are amazing spaces. Um, so, you know, what are some of the ideas? Well, the double barrel vault ceiling space will be great for weddings and for quinceañeras and trade shows and exhibits. <clears throat> uh, downstairs, I could see having classrooms where we're offering workshops, destination workshops, in bookbinding or letterpress printing or or mosaic work or cycle cart um, <laughs> fabrication, fabrication and construction. Um, <laughs> we also talk about uh, we're going to need so much help with the renovation of that building, putting in a small trade school so that so that young people who are interested in going into the trades right. can actually work on the building as they're learning real world experience in idea. masonry and carpentry and idea. so on. Um, you know, the, the, um, in the center part of the building, um, I badly want to have a really good brewery and put on the third floor roof, a, uh, a, a beer garden, um, be the nicest place. It'd be the nicest place in the state, you know, to wow. have a beer at the end of the day. Um, so those are the sorts of ideas, you know, we, we need, uh, we need people coming in, we need investment, we need people who kind of share this general approach, um, and spirit and, you know, if you can get your money back out, great. But if you're realizing things that you're really passionate about, there's, um, there's a lot of compensation in realizing your dreams. I love that. I do. I think that's a phenomenal philosophy to operate under. It's gotten me through this far. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we wrap this up, I feel like I've, I've been asking this question a lot at the end. Well, I wait, before we go there, I'm going to ask you a couple of things. So what do you do in town when you're not, when you're not, working at your your studio what what do you, you are you still riding your bike a lot not a lot okay. i do it occasionally uh i just recently i've just been taking you know long walks it's so beautiful around here and you can okay. go through the orchards and it's you know it's such a handsome um quiet <clears throat> kind of place but truth be told i have enough balls in the air between the seattle business and the businesses here it's 7 days a week you know okay. it's um um, but again, these are all things I've cooked up, I've dreamt up and, uh, it's all work, but I can't blame it on anybody else. But, but you're enjoying it for the most part. Oh, I mean, there's totally, moments yeah. again, given day, there's a moment where you're like, well, what have I done? But yeah. Okay. But everybody has those moments. Right. So then to, to, to wrap this up, what didn't we cover? Oi. Um, well, you know, the thing that um, 
I'm really proud of is how people in the area, people in the town in particular, um, were very puzzled when we started buying these buildings. The rumor <laughs> was we were Microsoft millionaires and we were going to, you know, who knows, we were going to bulldoze everything and do this and do that. And, and um, but mostly they weren't, they weren't hostile. They were just puzzled. They didn't quite, well, you'd said they've been vacant for a decade. Yeah. So yeah. why now? After a de- you know, yeah. after a decade, you're like, what? And <laughs> they 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 thought, well, you know, we couldn't think of how to get the bowling alley back. Um, if there are some other ideas that can at least turn the lights on again, mm-hmm. then great. You know, so they're curious, and of course, small town rumors and all that sure. stuff. But. Um, Nobody was ever belligerent, and for the most part, people were really very supportive and encouraging. But when things started to look better, when it seemed like the town wasn't headed downhill, Mm -hmm. and it was starting to really feel like there was a future, they started doing things to improve the town or their yards, okay. or the 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 involvement um, a little bit themselves. I really like it when old timers here, old orchardists, or people who have been here for a couple of generations come and say, you know, we just want to thank you. Um, you know, it's nice to know that the town has a future. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I know I'll be back. Good. Um, and so I thank for you for cycle carts. If nothing I'm going, else. Yeah. I, I can't. I, that's just that looks so. Just from the posters, I'm like that. Just looks like such a cool idea. Yeah, it's it's really fun. And so I'm looking yeah. forward to to seeing that. And I just, yeah, I just I'm really I'm. This this little community speaks to me. I don't know how else to say it. I, I can't come up with another another term, but I I have been talking about this town to pretty much anybody that listened to me uh, for the last two or three months, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see see how it continues. Well, it's it is um, the work of many 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 people, and I am all often pushed out there as the front man and I'm happy to perform that role. <laughs> but without that initial group of people, right. uh, small business owners, without the city of Titan, without the, the, our, our business neighbors here in the area, mm-hmm. without the support of, of people like Rob and Michelle and the other, or the Campbells and mm-hmm. other orchardists in the area, there's no way we could have done any of this. So it really, um, I think if, if anything, perhaps I've provided some creative leadership um, and some vision, um, but people will respond if mm-hmm. the idea is good. If it if it makes sense, um, you know, people will respond in a in a positive way, um, and I appreciate every single bit of help they've offered along the years. Okay, well, thank you for making this happen. Thank you. It's been fun. Yeah.
Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.